0: Hello, everybody. This is Keith, Music Man Henelik, and I'm with Joe Satriani today. And we're going to talk about the new album, Shapeshifting, and everything else that Joe was willing to talk about today. How are you doing, Joe?
1: I'm very well. Thank you for talking to me today.
0: Well, I really appreciate your time. It's quite an honor to do this with you. I've been following your music since probably your second album back in the 80s. Covered a lot of your stuff, and I saw you on the Unstoppable Momentum tour. Oh, great! You were a you were a bucket list. I I got a check mark it on that one now, dude. <laughs> so this new album, um, I love the title. It's perfect because you just change so much during the course of this album. You go through so many different styles, and I love the cover. It's like beam me up, Scotty. Now I'm here. I, I just love that. Um what <laughs> was that the idea that, you know, with all of the electrons spinning around that you were gonna shape into something else, or what was the idea behind the artwork?
1: Well, you know, um I've been working with the artist Todd Galapo for many years. Um I think the first time we met it was on the very first uh Chickenfoot project. He was brought in by Sammy Hagar uh to come up with the Chickenfoot logo and design the whole package, uh, and uh, he had done a lot of work with uh, Sammy's products as well, you know, the Cabo Wabo design, the, the tequila, tequila bottle and things like that, uh, but oh. he's one of those artists that's really inspired, and he does everything by hand, you know, the first thing he does is take out pen and paper and, a, and an exacto knife, and he starts playing, and, and uh, you know, we've done lots of album covers since then. And sometimes we build rooms, like we built a room full of mirrors for What Happens Next, the previous album. That was a great shoot, um, you know, with, with just really a fun day of shooting inside a little room that would, that was just nothing but reflection and and lights and smoke and all kinds of things. And this time around, he sent some ideas after I described the album to him. And one of them that really caught my eye was the light painting, um, the The only funny thing about that is that the subject, me in this case, has to stand absolutely still for, you know, let's say 16 seconds at a time, and you might do that for four hours. So it's not a very exciting uh, photo (laughs) session for me. I much prefer it if somebody says go out there and play and, you know, run around like you normally do. Uh, So you wind up with just, you know, like 400 photos where you look exactly the same like you're standing still holding your breath but then you know Todd would run out and the photographer uh, Joseph Cultus would run out during those 16 seconds while I'm standing in the dark and they would move flashlights around me and, and they would do the painting um, so they had all the fun <laughs> uh, okay but then here's the funny part about that whole thing so we start the very first test uh, for this photo idea, and we're, we're in Joseph's house, and he's, he's surrendered part of his house and turned it into a studio, and uh, we didn't know really how it was going to go, but the first one, uh, there was a problem, which was, there was a light that got reflected in my sunglasses, and we quickly solved the problem, and then spent the next few hours, you know, doing the light painting. Um, and then somewhere along the way, there was a second mistake that happened, uh, which was a flash went off when it wasn't supposed to. Oh. And, of course, all the cameras were set up to you know take pictures in the dark, so that kind of blew the the, the exposure like crazy. Now, yeah. weeks later, when I get back home and I'm looking at all these photographs that were taken and they're asking me to pick my favorites – Of course, the ones, the two that I like the best are the first mistake, which is you see a light coming from my eye, and I thought that was the creepiest, and and because it really shows there's some energy going, and it makes you kind of look to the eyes first, you know.
2: Yeah, yeah. yeah.
1: We use that for the front cover, and then for the back cover, I really like the mistake when the flash went off because it really looked like I was transforming. Like you walked in. To a room while this guitar player was turning into something else right when he was in the middle of it. And um, <laughs> so Todd was like, yeah, we can do it. We can make this work. And, and so, uh, yeah, they it, it was interesting, the process that they used to do it. But I was so happy that they captured the spirit of the album in, in those two photographs.
0: Definitely. You must be a very patient man to have to stand there all that time. Oh, my God.
1: You have to be, you know, because when you're working with people who are creative and you and you you know respect them, you have to give them time for their curve to you know uh, sort of manifest itself and And I know this because I've played you know the best thing first, and sometimes it you know you have to sit there and let me play for twelve hours until I finally arrive at that thing. And so uh, the good producers that I've worked with have always been very patient with me. And uh, and and you know because they see the, that I'm going through a process of trying elimination uh, and seeing what works what doesn't and uh, so when it comes to Todd and Joseph since we we did, this was the second project we did I knew they would get it I just had to you know my part was to stand still so I, I I just did my job
0: <laughs> yeah it sounds like it all came together nice and the album drops tomorrow perfect timing
1: huh uh, you know. It's a you know it's one of those things where uh i'm I'm reminded that my my true passion and my purpose in life is to make music for people, and so you know sometimes we get caught up with schedules and you know you you worry about someone else's releasing a record on the same day or there's some political event or you know weather event, and now something like this is truly tragic and and horrible um but you realize you know at least from my point of view I go I'm not a doctor I'm not, I'm not going to I can't walk into a hospital and save lives um but I can provide some music for people who are doing all that work and people who just need to space out for a bit uh and um that's my job that happens to be what I love to do is to make music so um I was very happy when Sony Music said you know let's just do it let's it's you know who knows when the perfect time is actually <laughs> to release the record? But um, they really love the record, and and uh, they said people should hear this. So let's just stay on schedule, and we'll, we'll take our market lumps like everyone else has taken their lumps. In the well, market. you
2: know,
0: everybody is, yeah. And and Joe, this is a perfect time. Music is the healer. I always say it's the universal healer, and uh, we need it. We need it bad. And people are going out and getting pets now, and they're listening to music. And I, myself, I've read four books in two weeks. Oh, that's <laughs> I never <great>. do that.
2: <laughs>
0: and I got to tell you, um, as much as I love your music, album after album, I always go back to Surfing with the Alien. That's my favorite.
1: Oh, well, that's great. Well, th- that makes me happy because that record, I put everything I had into that. And, and me and the John Cunaberti, I was just a... Uh, having a text conversation with them today. Uh, you know, we we went out on a limb and we used every resource we had to, to make that a perfect representation of what we thought uh, was wonderful and cool at the time. And we got so much grief from the record company. We went way over budget, I mean, but we just did it anyway. And we thought, you know what? I mean, I kid you not, we looked at each other when we were done and we said, They're probably going to run us out of town, (laughs) you know, for making this record. But, you know, we congratulated each other and thanked each other for hanging in there through all the trials and tribulations because we were proud of it. And and we thought no matter what happens, as we go back to our other jobs, at least we can say we did this, you know. And so what a surprise when we suddenly had, uh, you know, a record on the charts and it went on to be multi-platinum and loved by people like yourself to this day. And so, uh, I'd love to hear that. That was the perfect record for people to love.
0: (laughs) It's the one that really broke you, right?
1: It is. Yeah. It, it, it it came out of nowhere, you know, the wrong record at the, at the wrong time. And it just, people just seem to like it. Um, I, it certainly surprised me. It totally surprised the record company. They had no idea, um, that, that, that was going to be the reaction.
0: Well, now it's an iconic album. You know, it's one of the classics. And I I often wondered um, what was going on in your mind at the time that, gee, you know, I'm going to be instrumental artists primarily. It's going to be tough. I mean, you know, you look at bands like The Ventures. You're right up there with them now, Joe, as far as I'm concerned. I got like 50 of their albums. I oh, love The Ventures.
1: Those guys are amazing. Were, were you i'm sorry go ahead well i was just going to say that um you know i i fell into it by accident because i was still in the squares when i started um you know i was in this power pop band called the squares from from late 79 to early 85 and i just got that album (laughs) oh great i loved it
0: yeah (laughs) man i got it i I loved it
1: (laughs) so while that things were getting kind of weird with that band um During the last year of the band, I decided to do a side project without telling anybody, and I started my own record company and publishing company, and I came up with a really strange avant-garde EP with no drums, bass, keyboards, or anything. All the noises were made by strumming and clicking and banging the guitar, and it was an eponymous uh, titled... uh, Release and I uh, released it on my own label, Rubina Records. We sold less than a hundred. I gave away half of the of that hundred, I think. And of course. <laughs> uh, I wasn't really thinking. I just thought it was a great exercise, and I presented it to the band at rehearsal, saying, "You know, we should be doing this. Let's just make our own record." And I was kind of like, you know, outvoted. You know, they the the whole band really wanted to just keep going to L. A. and doing showcases and trying to get a big record deal. Um, and and of course that never worked out. So anyway, uh, once that band fell through, I thought you know I should just make a regular album, like because people obviously aren't gonna are gonna have a hard time getting into this avant-garde music where there's no drums and bass, you know. So I said, okay, let me figure out a way. So anyway, long story short, I've told the story a million times about how I got a credit card in the mail and I just maxed it out immediately and prepaid everyone. For the biggest discount. And John Cunaberti and I just went in, and we did what became Not of This Earth, and I was going to release it on my own label. I happened to send it to one of my best buddies, Steve I. and he says to me, you know what? I just found this crazy label in New York, this little independent company that is willing to release my EP, uh, and he said, my, my record's way weirder than yours, so they, I bet they'd like yours. And I said, to him, <laughs> so I said, uh, and he's talking about flexible, which he was right. His flexible is way weirder than not of this earth, you know. So I said, yeah, sure, go ahead. Don't worry. I, you know, I'm not expecting anything. But what happened was the introduction led to me meeting uh, Cliff Cultrary, who was A&R uh, at uh, important record distributors and more and more directly the Relativity Label. At important record distributors, and this was a small label in Jamaica Queens. I don't know where. Where am I calling? Where are you now? You're
0: in- I'm in Massachusetts. Oh, Massachusetts. Um, okay.
1: So, uh, for people who don't know what what Jamaica Queens is, it's by JFK Airport. It's back then, uh, in the mid '80s, it was like a no man's land of just warehouses and 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 you know streets with no name, that kind of stuff. So. Um, <laughs> But anyway, they were, you know, I I was sort of ready. Uh, I was already an entity. I already had all my legal stuff together. So I did what they call a P and D deal with Relativity Records for that first album. And while they were still mulling over when to release it, um, they they wanted me to come to New York and play a showcase to to prove to them that I was, you know, worthy uh, of a little bit of money to do a real album. You know, that could appeal to more people. And so um, when I showed up to do that, uh, the, the owner of the label, um, he actually did not really like me. <laughs> As a matter of fact, in front of the whole company, he said – he looked at me and he goes, I don't know, you don't really look like a rock star. And, and he goes, Steve, I looks like a rock star. I, I, well You don't look like a rock star. <laughs> <laughs> and it, was a, it was a very uncomfortable moment, and uh, but, you know, having been a professional musician ever since I was a kid, it was like I'd been through things like that before. And I said, well, you know, just let me play you the music, uh, you know, and so you can decide then. And so I had that one shot at the China Club in Manhattan that evening uh, with a, a bunch of pickup musicians to prove to them that this idea I had to make a music that would celebrate all my influences – um was the thing that they should finance and so that was my theme for surfing with the alien which is i'm going to celebrate chuck berry to hendrix and you know ventures dick dale santo and johnny uh you know every every band that i've ever loved um i'm just going to you know make a an uplifting record that goes here there and everywhere and i'm not going to make it sound like the current trend for budding, you know, shredders and things like that, and because they had enough of that, It was you know the beginning of thrash. They were making lots of money selling thrash metal records. It was all very evil and dark and everything.
2: <laughs> yeah,
1: I actually sure. had it in my contract that they couldn't use any negative images on my uh, record covers. Like, cause I yeah, was, good I, for I was, you. I was afraid they were going to try to turn me into some, you know. Uh, uh, evil guitar player kind of image, and uh, so they were surprised. So yeah, when the record came out, uh, the president Barry Coburn called me and he said, "You know, you're on the charts. You got a hit record here. You need to go on the road." And I reminded him that I didn't have a band and that I've never been on stage playing instrumental music, you know, of my own before. I said it just doesn't exist. I'm just a guitar player that should be behind a singer, you know. And so he was like, "Well, you know." you better get it together because <laughs> that's what no you do right now. <laughs> so I had to learn fast.
0: So, so is that story about you and Steve Vai true, that you were both at Berkeley and you were giving him guitar lessons and he was giving you cigarettes? I heard that once. Is, is that no, true?
1: No, it's not like that at all, no. Steve and I grew up <laughs> uh, in the same town on Long Island. Uh, we both went to Car Place High School, the local public high school. Uh, I started playing performances at the local high school um, and at parties and things like that uh, when I was 14. And um, he and a couple of his friends started taking lessons. Uh, he actually came to my front door uh, and with a guitar in one hand with no strings on it and a pack of strings on the other. And he said, hey, you teach my friend, uh, John Sergio, will you teach me how to play guitar? And I said, sure, you know. And uh so uh he was my student for about 2 to 3 years. We were both young, both learning, and we have been the closest buddies ever since. Uh we you know, yeah. we had music theory lessons from the same public high school music teacher, a guy named Bill Westcott who was just a brilliant, inspired uh young uh piano player who didn't mind that Steve and I were totally into you know, Black Sabbath and Kiss and Zeppelin and Hendrix. <laughs> He somehow could see past the shoulder-length hair and the, you know, motorcycle boots and grungy T-shirts. And he would sit us down, and he would just show us secret after secret. And uh, and back then, the New York uh, school system was still governed by the New York, uh, what, what they call the regents. And so it was rigorous testing for for music theory. We had to go to a, a statewide testing facility to get uh, tested uh each year, it was pretty amazing. I mean, that's the thing about wow. um, it. Wow, that sounds like some kind of utopia. But it, it, we, it, you know, plays is a teeny little town, uh, two square miles in the middle of Nassau County, right in the middle of Long Island. Um, but uh, we were lucky to, to, you know, to have him as a teacher. So
0: you play Ibanez guitars. I, I often wondered about that as well. Why Ibanez? And what all the different? classic guitars out there was there a particular reason why you chose that you just picked one up one day and said oh this is the sound that i'm looking for how did that happen
1: well you know what the the story before i picked up my first ibanez is uh is really what tells you uh you know why i responded so well to the ibanez which is basically i started out you know like any young kid you know just playing the the most economically feasible, feasible guitar to buy so that was a you know $120 extra from the local shopping mall when i was uh, 14 and uh and then i moved on to uh back then when they had uh classifieds where you could, people would sell used stuff i moved on to a fender telecaster that someone had you know repainted and then i moved on to a a Les Paul Deluxe that someone had repainted. Then I had a Strat, and then when I moved out to California, I wound up with a '54 Strat that someone had uh, refinished, and it was you know a bargain because it was refinished. Oh wow! Um, and then uh, because I was teaching and working at a guitar store, a small vintage guitar store in Berkeley, California, um, I I just I realized you know I should just put these things together myself because uh, it was the beginning of Uh, Modular parts being made by other manufacturers, specifically Boogie Bodies and ESP. Boogie Bodies was a U.S. company, and and you could buy Telecaster and Stratocaster bodies made of all kinds of wood, and it would come pre-routed for whatever you wanted. Um, And then uh, ESP from Japan was making really great vintage uh, replica necks for fenders. And uh so I just ordered all the parts through the store and I got a discount and I made two guitars that way that that I wound up playing exclusively when I was in the square, so that would be the late seventies up through eighty five. Um then I picked up a uh, a Kramer um at one point, um uh, a really ugly-looking one with mixed-up hardware, you know, like brass and gold and silver. It was <laughs> it
2: was funny, <laughs> but it had
1: a Floyd Rose vibrato bar on it, which was a brand-new thing that was just, you know, hitting the scene, and uh, I just thought it was amazing-sounding, you know, and uh, I had sort of given up the bar back in the early uh, 70s, you know, and, um but, but you know, all of a sudden I thought, okay, this guy's solving this kind of an issue. And then I wound up using that primarily on those uh, first two records, Not Other surf and Surfing with the Aliens. So after Surfing comes out, uh, Steve called me one day, and he said that he was thinking of doing a deal with Ibanez. And um, he said, you know, they've, they've sent me a bunch of guitars, and I'm not quite sure, you know, if I sent you one of them, what would you, would you tell me if you thought the quality was good, you know, and at the time he was uh very successful, and he could have gone to any company so he I think he really liked the people at Ibanez that just wanted someone else to give him a second opinion about it, so he just happened to send me i think a five forty radius. And uh, I got it, and I thought, well, they're doing what I want to do way better than me. <laughs> <You know?
2: laughs>
1: uh, yeah, I was I was just a junior luthier, you know, but these guys had really, you know, figured some things out. And, and the main thing was is that the body felt great. Size was good. It was like a Strat, but it had humbucking pickups. It had their version of a Floyd Rose, which I actually preferred because it stayed in tune better. And uh, so you know, I gave Steve the thumbs up, and and then he said, "Hey, do you want to talk to these guys?" And I said, "Yeah, sure, why not?" And um, so they actually sponsored me for the next couple of months, even though I hadn't used their guitars on the Surfing or the Not of This Earth album. And uh, and we went, we spent the next year while I was out on tour with Mick Jagger and 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 my first solo tour, developing what would become the J.S. line, which has been going strong for over 30 years now.
0: Wow. It's quite a story.
1: Yeah. It's funny how those things work out, you know,
0: everything happens for a reason, right, Joe?
1: I guess so. Yeah.
0: (laughs) Well, I wish you the continued success in your career. I'm sure this album's going to do very well for you. I've always enjoyed your music and I sincerely appreciate your time and I won't take any more of your time. And I just want to thank you again. And, um, I'll get out there, and I'll add this to all the reviews I did. And do you ever read reviews before I let you go? I just wondered.
1: <laughs> sometimes I do, you know. Like, um yes. I, I don't go out of my way to look at them, but uh, sometimes my manager will send a review, and he said you have to read this paragraph from this reviewer, you know, from
2: the area oh, cool.
1: or New Jersey or whatever it might be. And uh, <laughs> I look at it. Usually, I spend about five minutes looking at them, and then I remind myself that, you know, the bad reviews are just as truthful as the good ones, so don't let it go to your head. (laughs) Thanks so much, uh, Joe. I do appreciate
2: it. Stay safe.
0: Happy Easter. (laughs)
2: Yeah,
0: is is everybody good where you're at? Your family good?
1: Yes, yes. Thankfully, we're we're all good, and I I hope the same is uh, with you and your family, and stay that way, okay?
0: Yes, sir. Hope we get a chance to talk again.
1: All right.